Have you heard of Furby Odd Bodies? Furby Odd Bodies? Yes, Google it right now. Odd Bodies is one word. Furby, like in Furby? Like like, like the, the creepy 90s toys. Yeah. They're about okay. to get creepier. <laughs> Okay. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> Holy oh, abomination. Wow. Okay, well. <laughs> what has the internet wrought? <laughs> this is if Sid from Toy Story had an Etsy page. Oh my gosh, this is, <sighs> oh, this is bizarre and uncanny. This is not what I wanted this evening. I was hoping to be able to sleep tonight. It's not happening. Oh my, oh. Oh, it gets worse. our friendship. <laughs> this is... That's for Highlander 2. <laughs> you know what? Touche. Touche. Yeah. Well, on that note, welcome to the show, You, Me, and Your Mom, a show where three people sit down to talk about whatever they want to talk about. I'm your host, Eric, and we're joined today by our other two hosts, my best friend, Brandon. Cheers. And my mom, Mom. Who's a little disturbed at this moment. <laughs> <laughs> Her name is Sandy. Well, how are you guys today? Well, I was good till I had to look up Furby Odd Bodies, but other than that, <laughs> I'm doing really well. Thank you. It's oh been a gosh. it's been a kind of busy but quiet week all at the same time. It's kind of weird. I've been working a lot. Um, but we had a quiet weekend. It rained a lot here, but the weather is no longer icy and snowy, so it was beautiful today and, you know, me and getting outside. So that was nice. And this weekend, I honestly just watched TV all weekend. Nicely done. I, I know. It. I know. I can't even believe that I did that. So <laughs> there you go. It was a good weekend. Well, good. How I'm about fine. you, Brandon? Um, it's been a week. Um, <laughs> wasn't feeling too well, so I called out on Monday. Um, but better now. And then the past two days, we're recording on a Wednesday night. Um, I'm apparently the universe is making me make up for that because i've worked like almost two hours later each night since then so <laughs> gosh fun 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 yeah yeah, yeah. it's the weather's getting nicer here in michigan uh on saturday and sunday got cold again but on saturday it got up to the low 50s so in michigan that means you know you grab your shovel you clear off the last few inches of snow from your patio and you break out the patio furniture because it's nice and sunny and you can wear like a light jacket out there and enjoy the the day so that's been nice. It was a little cooler again, like I said, Monday and uh, Sunday and Monday. But then uh, yesterday and today were just really nice and kind of warm-ish for the time of year and where we're at. So it's nice. Didn't uh, just kind of throw on a flannel, long sleeve flannel shirt earlier and was running around and it was you know very comfortable. Had to roll the sleeves up. Got to roll drive with the windows down and listen to some music. That's awesome. Oh, That's it's nice. that time of year. Saw a cardinal a few days ago, so you know spring's coming. That's so interesting because this is where the cardinals come during winter. You know that. <laughs> yep. So, well, yeah, everything comes down there. Yeah, everything comes down there. For those that have never been to Florida during winter, it's actually really cool because all the robins and all the cardinals, this is where they winter. So I can tell when things are getting cold because they show up. It's completely the opposite. So it's kind of interesting you mentioned a cardinal because we've been slowly seeing them start to disappear i guess they're heading back north that's awesome man well we've been doing pretty good down here just plugging along i was extremely manly this weekend it was yes yes i was very oh, no. manly so mm-hmm. we uh here lately i've been getting into barbecue which I, you guys have probably saw on my instagram and all this mm-hmm. sort of stuff yeah. well there's a bit of fun story um 
my wife was doing excellent in her job. And one of the ways they wanted to show their appreciation for the job that she was doing, the company offered to get her a special gift and she could choose from like a catalog of different things. Well, we kind of had already all the things they were offering, except for a randomly a smoker. Don't know what possessed my, my wife, except for she really likes barbecue herself. She bought the smoker. So it was more for me. But what's funny is it's kind of taken over my life here lately. And like about once a month, I'm doing like getting up at four in the morning on a Saturday and I'm, I'm cooking all a day to do the perfect barbecue, right? It's like, I'm, it's a little weird how obsessive I've gotten with this. Well, it has spread my reputation. Apparently all of the, my whole life has been building up for this moment. <laughs> so apparently this Southern barbecue thing is in my blood because I nailed it the first time out and second time out. For some reason, I remember watching people where I grew up, all the adults when I was a kid do barbecue. So I just remember how they all did it. So it came out perfect, right? Well, now I'm starting to offer classes, apparently. <laughs> the reason well. I said it like that is because I was talking to a friend and he was interested and he was like, he kind of invited himself over. He's like, can I come over Saturday and I can bring my smoker and we can smoke together. Oh, <laughs> smoker play date. It's a Aww. smoker play date. We had an all day smoker play. We started early and he followed the techniques that I do and all that sort of stuff. And so then we compared the briskets together and we did science, right? We science nice. and we had a really good <laughs> time. It was really funny, but we felt extremely manly and where we do it, I have to do it on the driveway. There's no other safe place to do it. So it faces the street of my, of my neighborhood. <laughs> so we, everybody's just coming out of the house. Everybody's coming out of the house because it smells so good. Everybody's coming mm -hmm. out of the house. They're like, Hey, you know, all, everybody's my <laughs> friend, right? Uh -huh. Okay. Because I always cook way more than I need. So I I give like all of this to neighbors safely COVID, you know, sure. I know, but I give away a ton of it. So wrap I it on a plate, put it on a table at the end of the driveway. They come up, get it. Exactly. So now I have friends all around the block. <laughs> <laughs> so I have great. cemented myself as the barbecue man. That's right. I have, I have that reputation these days. It's really kind of funny. So we had a good time and you know, it's funny. We need a good time because um, I think I've mentioned, I mentioned it on a podcast a few months ago. Uh, my wife's mother passed away and it was a tough time for us, especially as a tough time during the time of COVID and everything that was going on. And we've been slowly working through it and not to be too personal about my wife because it's, it's her place to tell her story considering all this. I will say that it's been lovely to watch her family come together in such a dark, you know, dark time and grow closer together despite the sadness and that sort of thing. And I've been watching my wife be very courageous going through all of this. And she was talking to other people and we knew that it was a dark time. It's not that, let's just be honest. We all know it's a dark time right now. It's not that we don't know, but sometimes if we are so quarantined, we don't get to that connection that we see from other people. We don't see it face to face. And we're reminded that right now it's hard for everybody, right? And I know it's all the news and that sort of thing, but it kind of made me start talking or start thinking about things with mom and Brandon on how COVID is impacting us in such a huge way. And we've talked about it, but we've barely mentioned it in the last several months. And I'll tell you why. The philosophy behind us as a podcast is usually we understand what our purpose is here. Our purpose is to, first of all, kind of escapism. 
that's the purpose of our podcast. You guys would agree, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Very much so. Absolutely. We know that you, those that are listening, we know that your life is hard. We know that you face challenges on everyday basis and that you chase them, you know, face them courageously. So our job here is to entertain, but kind of give you a form of escape, a place of peace and a safe place. We understand that. We also understand our job is to make you smile. Our job is to sometimes just make you laugh. Our job, we hope that our job is, is sometimes help to inspire you and to motivate you by sharing things that inspire us and motivate us. And that's the whole point. And so we focus on that. So many months has gone by where we've not really talked about COVID in a deep way because we understand that the last thing you probably want to hear is more about COVID. But I think as we're coming to the tail end of COVID because the vaccinations are being rolled out, um, you know, President Biden announced last uh, this week that he believes there will be enough vaccinations for every single adult in America by the end of May. We are coming into the home stretch of all the things that we faced this year. I <laughs> see that, thank goodness. Please, <laughs> thank you. And it kind of made me start reflecting, pausing, and trying to think through what we've experienced in exactly a year, by the way. Um, we first went into lockdown in March. It will be a year mm-hmm. when, when, this, uh, when this podcast drops. And so it's time for reflection and time for thinking through exactly how it's impacted us. And the more I thought about it, we have an expert with this every single week that can kind of tell us what it may be affecting us on a, on a society basis, but also on an individual basis. And maybe we can make some sense out of what's happening and a sense of where we've been and where we're going, if that makes sense. So I know it's a serious topic tonight, but I do think it's worth talking about. Mm-hmm. So mom, I know you're the expert and you've been following it pretty faithfully. When it comes to society as a basis, how do you think the society has been responding to well, the past year with the craziness that we've, we've witnessed? Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's not just the past year. We're moving into really our second year. That's true. And I know that there is somewhat of an insight or a light at the end of the tunnel to for many people, except right now we've got these new variants that are fast spreading and there's rumors that they may be more deadly. Do the vaccines even work on these things? And so there's still that kind of feeling going on. One of the things I've noticed um, as a counselor who sees people, not just in my state, but in, in international Uh, communities across the world. Literally, right now in almost every continent, I'm missing one in South America right now. She's on furlough in the state, so she's not there. I don't have anybody in Antarctica right now, but that's it. I have someone in all the other continents, right? And as I I see this, some of the people I I talk with, I talk with them on an afternoon. It's the next morning for them, um, which is kind of cool as a counselor, by the way, side note. (laughs) But noticing that and realizing as I talk throughout the week with clients, um, everyone as a whole has been moving through COVID almost together as one unit. So it's like by Monday evening, I know how the rest of the week's going to go. Because on Monday, if everybody on Monday feels very depressed, I know that the rest of the week, 
most of my clients are going to present with that. Some Mondays, I have a whole group of clients are going to be um, upbeat and hopeful. And that sets the tone for the whole week. Anxiety has been that way. Depression, hopefulness, hopelessness. All of these things have kind of moved together globally in my experience. And so we know that, you know, COVID has had a, a huge impact on just how we feel and what we're doing globally. Some, one of the stats that I found that came out just, just last week was really startling to me. In February of 2020, so before COVID became big in the United States, actually before all the lockdowns and all of that, the number of adults in the United States that reported symptoms of either anxiety or depression was only was 11%, which we thought was really high. That's a lot of percentage of one person. I mean, one time a group of people all having anxiety or depression. In February of 2021, 42% of Americans have reported depression or anxiety. 42, went went from 11% to 42%. Absolutely. It's crazy, you know, and that's one of the reasons I hold on to these stats because they're hard to let go. Right. The difference between 11% and 42% in one year. Um, so, and the 11%, we were a little alarmed by that, we being the mental health community, because that had, was higher than it had been in previous years. And so we had been looking at how do we prevent suicides? How do we help people with depression? How do we do all that with this 11% when we went into COVID? Mm. And now we're sitting at 42%. Well, COVID. Oh, go ahead. No, Sorry. Yeah, just... Um, and, and it's probably setting up for an even larger discussion, but looking at the obvious increase, um, I, I does I imagine quarantine plays a factor. I was curious about the various factors. I was also curious about this psychological mass movement from week to week. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's really two questions. So I'll, I'll start with one. Let's talk with the globalization, if I can. Well, I, obviously, this is because we are so connected instantaneously these days, right? That's mm-hmm. why you're seeing the immediate impacts on all continents. Is that probably a fair sum, sum, you know, summary of what you're seeing? I think that that's part of it. I do think that we have instant contact. I know even during the election, my clients that are in other countries we're following the United States elections very closely um, for one reason or another. And that, that played a part in our, even our counseling sessions, which I have to say, this is the first time in my career that politics has played a part in many people's um, um, counseling sessions. It's mm. never happened before um, in my career, um, maybe in everybody else's, but not in mine. Yeah. And, but they followed, everybody is following the news very closely. Okay. And so when, when, for instance, when, when Pfizer said, Hey, we have a, a vaccine, everyone in the world went, woohoo, yay. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's been this whole kind of global experience. You know, when we think about in the United States, if we think about nine uh, 11 and we think about how in the United States that impacted everyone in the United States, we all kind of remember where we were, when we heard it, um, I can tell you what time of day it was, what channel on TV. I happened to be watching the financial news when I 
they showed it live and and what happened with all of that and what we did kind of like when when Kennedy was assassinated we can all kind of do that right and many people in the United States suffered PTSD symptoms who were not even in New York or in Washington hmm. or Pennsylvania they 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 suffered that because they saw these events and they they were able to personalize it covid's the kind of the same thing right. so many people i mean at this point in time on march 3rd we have about 520,000 deaths in the united states right that's deaths hmm. that has impact that's over half a million people who have died right you know we have so many um, still dying every day. Today, I looked at the stats. Today is March 3rd. As of yesterday, in the United States, over 1,300 people died yesterday. Right. And we're all going, ooh-hoo, it's going down. And I'm thinking, it's still 1,300. It's still 13, yeah. 1,300 families Affected. are dealing with the repercussions of, of this deadly disease. Yeah. Right. And this is happening globally. And so we're, as a, as a planet, we are experiencing right. an event together. And I don't know in the history of mankind that's ever happened. We've had world wars and they've impacted many countries, but not the whole world. Right. You know, Cape Town, South Africa may or may not have been impacted in World War I. Um, You know, I think Australia was, but but some of the countries were not um, impacted. Right. There's not a country on the face of this planet that hasn't been impacted by COVID. So we, we have that. We have the fear of what's coming next. And it, it ebbs and we get kind of used to it. We tolerate it as a planet, as globally, we sort of all tolerate it. And psychologically, we know it takes humans a certain amount of time to start acclimating to, right. to a situation. So that same amount of time is global. Since like you said, we have this instantaneous con- connection right. um, through internet and through news and through TV and all of these things. I mean, we laughed about Tiger King but most of the world watched Tiger King of all things, right? right. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have these shared experiences around the world. So just as we acclimate to this level of, of COVID pandemic and where we are, then there's something new that happens. Mm-hmm. And it either shifts us up, hopefully, or it shifts us down into anxiety depression. So we're talking about the vaccines, for instance, we all get excited about that. And that's pretty new. We have Pfizer and we have Moderna and those come out and we're all excited. And right about, we went through about a week or two of that. And all my clients were like, hopeful, we're going to get vaccinations. This is going to be over. And then they went, oh, we have variations. I wonder if those are going to be, you know, if the vaccines are going to be effective with these variations. And so the whole world kind of went, Ooh, what if? Pump the brakes, pump the brakes. Pump the brakes, what if, what if? And so that's part of what I see in that globalization. Um, I I certainly see that instantaneous, but we're all actually experiencing this at the same time. And so our our responses are very typical human responses to trying to adjust. It, It speaks to the resilience of humans, how we try to readjust adjust and readjust to what's going on and how we try to tolerate adverse conditions. I hope that answered the first question. It does. I have my personal opinions about it, uh, about the question I'm about to ask that's related to what your answer was, but I'm curious what you guys think in particular. How do you think social media has fed into this state that we find society as a whole when it comes to maybe insecurities Fear, maybe anger, 
How do you think this is affecting people on a daily basis when it comes to something like drastic as, as the, as the pandemic we're facing right now? What do you guys think? Well, I think honestly, for the pandemic, I think that the social media uh, influence has been the strongest from my experience with my clients. So I want to be very clear on that. I've not done a study on this, but the social media has been a stronger influence on the people in the United States than more around the pandemic than it has been around the world. That's interesting to me. Well, one of the things that many of my international clients have found really kind of a little frightening on their end, and I can understand it to some degree, actually, and have also found a little uh, discouraging and disheartening is that our social media specifically, we have different camps in the United States. And so many are one camp or the other about COVID around the pandemic and around mask wearing and it's all become very politicized. Mm -hmm. And so my international clients are kind of befuddled about how a pandemic has become politicized. And because the United States is seen as a leader in our world, it has been concerning to many of my clients that this has been politicized um, so much. And I think that social media has definitely impacted people's feelings and responses in the United States, which because we are leaders in the world have impacted other people because they're afraid of what the United States is going to do one way or the other. Mm -hmm. If, if you, for those of you who are listening, if you have not watched the social dilemma, by the way, highly recommend that Mm -hmm. um, on Netflix Mm -hmm. about these things side note, but, but I, I think it goes along with that because the algorithms work. I go in every now and then and clear all my, my checkboxes on um, my social media so I can get things from every side um, and they don't pigeonhole me. But I noticed after a while, what would happen is I would get specific. Everybody that came across my feed had the same opinion that I had. Mm-hmm. And I know I have friends that are totally opposite than I am politically, medically, counseling, everything. And yet I was getting, I was getting that echo chamber back. And so I do, to answer your question, I think in the United States, it played a huge role. I think in the other countries, it was the role that it played was more what they were watching to see what people in the United States were going to do around social media and where it went. Uh Yeah. And it's, it's this huge double-edged sword in that, yes, it it allows us to keep connected with people that we wouldn't have been able to before. I mean, you look at a hundred years ago, Someone who went to college, you know, would keep up with maybe three or four of their closest, you know, friends and colleagues from college. Now, I I keep in touch with literally hundreds of them to varying degrees. Um, I have at least, you know, 10 to 20 of them that I keep up with fairly regularly that I consider close friends or, or right. best friends. Um, and But on the other end, it gives everyone a glo- literally a global platform. Um, there's not fact-checking on every little thing. Now, certain sites have cracked down on some of the major ones that have been spreading massive disinformation, uh, finally, in the past few months. And in the, over the past year, we've seen that in some. And then it's caused you know, certain sites to be created specifically for the ones who feel like they're being suppressed mm. or that you know, fact-checking is considered someone else's different opinion that becomes a personal attack on their own beliefs. When it's not that at all, it's saying, no, like what you're reposting is just wrong. 
like I, I know that you're passionate about it, but I'm sorry you've been misinformed. And unfortunately, you know, when human humans are told that are wrong, they dig in more. You know, it's not our common response to listen and and learn right off the bat. We have to make that conscious choice. And so that's just it's it's I, I hate to use the word radicalized so loosely, but you know, I've seen friends and family members and, and loved ones become radicalized by the right and the left and certain interest groups um, that completely different than the people that I knew, but you know, that's we're humans. We're supposed to grow and change, hopefully grow and change um, and not stay stagnant necessarily. But when you don't have, and I hate to use the word gatekeepers because it's generally a, a negative term, but when you don't have gatekeepers of actual factual information, it's dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to me, you guys, I, I feel that we're kind of in sync, both of your perspectives on this when it comes to my personal perspective. I do want to take a slightly different turn with it. And I do want to talk about the lack of better term, emotional addiction. Mm-hmm. I find that social media really caters to becoming addicted to emotions. Now, emotions are really good and emotions need to be embraced. They need to be processed and you need to know your own emotions to be a full and complete person. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, real bit of caveat, when I was younger, I used to pride myself and think that I was a logical person and my emotions followed my logic. But as I've gotten to know myself more, I've actually flipped completely and I've realized that I'm a very emotional person who then uses, you know, I'd make up my mind emotionally and then I use my logic to justify those emotions. You work backwards. Yeah, I work backwards than what I used to think. And it's just as I go older, I realize that more about me and I mature and grow, hopefully, just like you were mentioning. I worry about the emotional addiction that millions, if not billions of people are getting off of social media. You say, Eric, what, are that? what in the world are you talking about? I'm talking about the little spikes of fear the little hits of anger that we get throughout or insecurity throughout the day. So what I mean by that is you wake up in the morning, you check your Facebook feed and someone has a snippy post and whether you agree with them or disagree with them, it's about some politics or it's about something to do with a pandemic. It's a controversial issue and they're ranting and raving about what happens in your emotions. They spike a little bit whether it be anger, whether it be fear, whether it be insecurity, anxiety, whatever it may be, it spikes a little bit. And then, you know, we put the Facebook down, we work for a few hours, and then we have 15 minutes, we pick it back up. Another spike of anger because we read another post that makes us angry. And then we get another post that makes us angry or another post that makes us insecure, another post that makes us anxious. Because something people don't understand about social media or they don't make the connection is the social media does not care about what emotion is getting out of you as long as it gets some sort of reaction out of you. So the algorithm naturally tends to lean towards something that you have a strong feeling about, whether that be a positive or a negative. And let's be honest, most of the time it's negative. And what people don't know is it's beginning, I worry that it's beginning to change our psychology to where we are almost emotionally addicted to it. And when you talked about radicalization on both sides of it, I feel that's what's happening 
is through the initial fear and anxiety that we face about the world, we're becoming addicted to these social media hits of emotion, if that makes sense to you. Mom, you're the expert, obviously. Mm -hmm. Is this something that I'm describing that seems fairly accurate? Or what is your opinion about it? No, it absolutely is. Um, They are designed to do that. And that's why I recommend The Social Dilemma if y'all have not watched it. But it, it is designed to do that. And we need to remember that these social media companies, um, Facebook and Instagram, which is actually one company, by the way, mm-hmm. um, Twitter, even Google, they are designed, they are created to make money. I'm not saying that there's anything morally wrong with making money. My gosh, I want to be paid for my work. Sure. That's why they create it. But we've forgotten that that is what they exist for. That is their purpose in being. It's, it's Facebook exists. And as a company, it is a private company, and we expect too much from it. But be, within that, we have AI now that have stepped up, and they're integrating it into those algorithms, yeah. and it has become addictive. And I noticed even myself, and I'm very aware of this, and I am on social media. I actually like social media. I, I want to say that I like it because I keep it social. Mm-hmm. <laughs> social, uh-huh. either social or my business one, I put out a lot of of mental health tips, to be honest, just thinking I could be helpful to my community. It's one way of trying to impact a larger audience than just my clients. I see it that way, but it's my viewpoint. And even with that viewpoint, and even with the viewpoint of thinking, you know, I have other things in life and I know it can be addictive. I find myself sometimes all of a sudden reaching for my phone or reaching for my iPad going, I wonder about Facebook. Oh no, I need to stop. How many likes did I get on my Instagram? No, no, I need to stop. I mean, I I find myself even doing that because we are wired to this. It hits our dopamine. And when we, when we get these things, it literally increases our dopamine, kind of like taking it, an exaggerated way of looking at it would be like taking a hit of crack. (laughs) It's like, whoo, because it it makes us go, oh, that feels good. It's, it's, it's almost, I don't mean to be crude, but it's almost sexual in nature because it's almost like, ooh, yeah, we get some of the same hormones and the same the same chemicals, the serotonin, the dopamine, the norepinephrine, when we hit those, uh, hit that Facebook. And on top of that, when we're t- talking about the pandemic, because people are isolated more overall, um, I know there's some areas that not so much, but <laughs> overall people are, are, are isolated more. And even if they don't want to be, a lot of events aren't happening. I know like like the, for instance, I live in Nashville, so well, south of Nashville. So the CMA Awards are not happening again this year. That was um, put out yesterday. Um, they're going to roll over their tickets for right. next year, for those of you who have tickets. Um, but it's a big deal for us because our church is in the, our, they use our parking lot, which is good for our church financially. But um, that's a side note, I know. Uh, but anyway, for instance, those big events are not happening. Or if you want to go to an SEC football game, um, which, you know, we like to go to. Um, I know that only so many can get tickets and they're spreading people apart and all of that. So even if you don't want to isolate, you kind of have to, right. you just kind of have to, right? So with that isolation, we're hitting our Facebook pages more, we're hitting our Instagram more, our Twitter more, depending on what part of the country and what age group you fall into. We're hitting those things a lot more than we did before the pandemic. And I think that that's, that's impacting how we're feeling. I think it's a downward spiral. 
the downward spiral. Right. And I think, you know, when, when the weather, I'm sorry, Brandon, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, we've even talked about here how we've, you know, Eric and I have gone off on, on TikTok uh, about mm-hmm. how it's, mm-hmm. it's, and I'm, I have to be very mindful of it because it's very easy to just uh, sit there and like Saturday, for example, I'm, I'm the kind of person that if, if I wake up to use the restroom or I turn over funny or, or something happens, I get like half a thought in my mind and it fully realizes I'm awake and I can't fall back asleep. Like once my brain starts going, it doesn't shut down. <laughs> so this past Saturday, I woke up at six 30 and I was just laying in bed and I usually lay there for about an hour and get up and do things. And I just opened up TikTok, And before I knew it, it was quarter after 10 and, and Missy needed me to move my car so she could go to work. Um, and that's one of the few times where I've just kind of let myself go, but we've admitted, you know, that it's great to get on if, you know, like I said, if you're mindful of it and keep an eye on it to just, if you want to spend 10 minutes and it's the algorithm learns you pretty well, pretty quickly. And you can just, you know, scroll through a few, if, you know, you don't necessarily want to watch that creator or or see that kind of content. It's like, let me find, you know, my favorite Harry Potter TikTokers, or I need to hear some pirate shanties right now, or, you know, let me see some great makeup, you know, transformation. So just something that's different and colorful and bright and cheerful that can give me that dopamine hit for now. I, I don't need a lot. I just need some kind of little fix. Yeah, yeah. And it is a fix. Yeah. And it's, and I, I've mentioned him before, Eric and I have talked about him. One of my favorite uh, podcasters, directors, writers, Kevin Smith, um, his famous uh, saying with any kind of substance is handle your high. Um, his best friend, you know, Jason Muse, uh, if people are familiar with him, their combo Jay and Silent Bob have been in all of Kevin Smith's movies. And in real life, Jay has had substance abuse uh, problems uh, oxycodone heroin different times throughout the years but he's been sober for the better part of a decade if not a full decade by now and uh part of that is they do a podcast where they kind of you know kevin smith keeps him accountable but kevin smith is you know a famous stoner like over the past decade uh he just posted the day that he has some surgery coming up so no you know weed for four days beforehand he's like that's the longest in the past 10 years i've gone without weed but his thing is handle your high he handles his high it doesn't handle him so it's just one of the things that, you know, I, I knowingly open up TikTok when I have been having a horrible day and just need a quick pick me up, but I handle my high and I don't, you know, let that turn into a four hour session in the middle of my work day, right. <laughs> like on a Saturday but, morning. Right. And it happens way more than we like to admit Right. that that turns into that four hour mm-hmm. obsession. Yeah. I'm still figuring out TikTok, but um, I can get lost. I can get lost in the Instagram reels really fast. Um, I mean, pick your poison. poison. You pick your poison. They're they're the same. Um, I think TikTok's probably for that younger crowd than I am slightly younger. Uh, I will find it. Nah, you find your, you find your creators. (laughs) Yeah, I know. You guys send me some really good ones. As as it goes to the pandemic, I, I, I think that we've relied on these a bit more than we probably should have. But I I agree with the statement that, you know, we're in contact with others more. And I think about the 1918 Spanish Mm flu. Oh my goodness. We didn't have telephones. We didn't have FaceTime. We didn't have zoom. We didn't have social media. We, we most, some people didn't even have radio at that point. Some people didn't even have electricity. So, Mm -hmm. you know, or indoor plumbing, to be fair or honest, um, you know, and I, I'm even reading, um, uh, as always, I'm reading something, but I'm reading a historical novel right now. It takes place during the the Dust Bowls in the early 30s. And, you know, 
many people didn't even have cars at that late a time because, you know, they still had horses, some of them. And you, you think about that and you think about how lucky we are and how or blessed or whatever you want to sure. think about fortunate uh, or privileged that we have all of these means of communication. And yet during the pandemic, we're, we're feeling more isolated than ever. Right. And I think part of that's because we were already feeling somewhat isolated. We were already isolating ourselves through our screens, through our devices, through that, through that addiction already. And through the lack of knowing how to deal with relationships, setting boundaries, working through conflict, having that rupture and repair process that all relationships require to be strong and recognizing that as a process and accepting other people as they are, because we seem more divided, right. not just as a nation, but actually as a, as a planet. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing a lot of social issues divide people more than I've ever seen um, in my life. And I, I think that COVID has uh, amplified that in a lot of ways right. um, because we're, we're kind of isolated with our own thoughts and on social media, we're isolated with our, within our own echo chamber. Going forward, we've danced around it. We, well, not even really danced around it. We've kind of got a helicopter view of what we're talking about. So let's kind of maybe bring it down a little bit to more of a daily basis. And we've kind of hit it. Um, and we talked about being emotionally addicted to social media, things like that. And we've given personal examples. But looking at it, how has the symptoms of this starting to, you know, how has the symptoms showed themselves on an individual basis um, in your, both of you, I want to hear both of your experiences, all this fear, the insecurity, the anxiety, um, we've already hit a bit, hit it, how we're, all of us are more addicted to social media right now, that sort of thing. And it's going to be a crux, I think, going forward as we get back to normal. But beyond that, what are some of these, these symptoms that we can point out? And that way, people that are listening can kind of be mindful of it and recognize those symptoms uh, as they're going through their daily lives, as we're coming into the tell of this pandemic, if that makes sense to you guys. 100%. I'm, I'm actually a little concerned about what we're going to do after the pandemic, mm. because some of these are long-term symptoms that I'm seeing develop. Um, and I'm not sure what's going to happen because they've become patterns and habits mm. in people's lives. So some of the things that I've noticed, and Brandon, I think that you may have something to um, volunteer in this as well, because it's, it's more of an observation. So I think we're all experts on what we observe, by the way. But I, I think that some of the things that I've seen clinically have been, of course, your basic things. I've been seeing people struggling to sleep regularly. Sleep patterns are off. They either stay up too late and sleep in too long, or they don't sleep at all, or they sleep too much. Sleep patterns are off. Eating is off. We've made jokes. I've seen memes on social media all year about gaining the quarantine 15. COVID-19 pounds. I saw that. Yeah, mm -hmm. that too. And But people are eating badly. Um, we are, so that's one of the symptoms. I'm, I'm seeing people having a lot more relationship issues. Hmm. They're either locked down with people for a long time and they're tired of seeing their faces, I guess, or um, conversely, they've been apart from other people and they're considering, I've seen more people considering cutting off relationships. People are also forgetting some of the social niceties and how to be polite to one another or forgetting how to talk to one another. So I'm also seeing a lot of fear around how do I talk to someone? 
How do I set boundaries? How do I negotiate that social space? And so that fear around that is increasing. I'm also seeing a lack of, of hopefulness for our future. I hear a lot that people are expecting the apocalypse basically any day now. Um, and they're really, look, some of that's in our media. Some of that's in our books that we read, the post-apocalyptic stories that we read or, or watch on TV. We've always had them but they're greater right now. And they don't feel so science fiction-y. They feel like real. Um, I'm seeing people lose interest and lose motivation. One of the big things right now in counseling is almost all of my clients here currently in the last month or two months, they all want help with finding motivation. They're just not motivated to do anything. I mean, literally they just sit um, they just sit, scroll on social media while they've got TV on in the background. Um, basically, they'll do that. There's a few shows they'll watch, but they're never just watching the shows. They're scrolling. Right. There's no motivation. And they're like, I don't even feel like I've even had a client say, I love my toddler. He's awesome and adorable and cute. But I can't focus on him. I just can't find the motivation. And that sounds horrible if you're listening, except that I'm hearing that from many right. people right now. Um, I'm hearing things, people not, um, they're just really dissatisfied with their lives and they're examining where they are and what they want to do. And they're asking themselves, what am I doing here? But with no productive outcome, it's not, what am I doing here? Should I assess and maybe change? It's not that. It's just, what am I doing here? It's that existential crisis that even our young people, normally that happens about my age, <laughs> really, it's what am I doing on this planet and what am I, whatever, but I'm seeing it even in teenagers right now. Um, so those are some concerning symptoms. I'm, I'm seeing this lack of genuine connection. We've forgotten how to genuinely connect to one another. And as much as I love to be online and that's how I like to do my my social interactions, if I have a, you know, if I have a choice, it's almost how I'd like to do that. But we are losing the ability to sit in a room with other people comfortably and know how to navigate that space between two individuals um, or even in a group of individuals. Right. And I, I think people are afraid. They're scared. So I, I to go back into that, because honestly, Truthfully, navigating relationships happens to be the hardest thing that we ever do in our lives, you know, and it takes an everyday kind of practice and skill and we're, we're losing that. And I think it's, it's manifesting in some anxiety. The fact that our governments across the world have handled COVID, not always in the best. Um, shout out to New Zealand, you go I have a client there. They've done an amazing job. Good job, New Zealand. Australia, I think you've done a great job too, in case you're wondering, all of Australia. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, many countries have vacillated and we no longer can go. Our government will take care of us. We can't trust that. And it's not that I don't think that our government's done like the best they can. Shout out to Dr. Fauci. Love you. You're awesome. But here's the thing we are learning that our government is fallible. Now, science doesn't work like immediately. We have to learn about a virus, for instance. We have to figure out 
what to do. And then we have to figure out how to implement policies. And then dadgummit, we have to figure out how to make everybody else follow these policies. Oh. Um, you know, and so it it's we're realizing that in a huge way where I think before COVID, we were all kind of like, yeah, they'll take care of it. But now that anxiety, that fear has set in and it's it's individualized because it's, it's a personal fear. It's a personal anxiety. And people are afraid to speak that. Right. They, they'll speak it in anger. They'll speak it in this or that or the other thing. But they really are afraid to speak. I am afraid of our future. I'm afraid that a year from now we won't exist. I'm afraid we'll be extinct like the dinosaurs. I'm afraid that when we go back together, that things are not going to be the same because we all know they're not. I'm afraid I'm not going to have a job. I'm afraid I'm going to lose what I have. I'm afraid. And I think that fear comes out both in anxiety and in depression, because when it comes out in depression, it's I'm afraid and I feel hopeless and Mm. helpless. I can't change it. Yeah. And a lot of people don't realize that depression and anger go hand in hand. Many times. Many times. You're depressed, so you act out in anger. And people don't realize how connected. So when you see someone who's overly aggressive and overly anger, you actually, you know, the, the instinct is not to think, hey, he might be very sad or she might be very sad. So you have to recognize that as well, right? So when you're online and people are aggressive, you have to ask yourself, are these people just acting out their fear and their depression, right? So you have to be kind of careful and cognizant of that because it's really easy to get drug into an online debate or debate is a kind word for it. We've all seen the Facebook arguments and just the vitriol of Twitter. So we have to be mindful of that. And bear in mind, everyone's afraid. And that's kind of, I, I worry. It's funny that you mentioned how things become habits and that when things go back to normal, they won't really be normal. I'm reminded of a problem that Japan has uh, way before the pandemic hit. Uh, you guys ever heard the term of uh, hikamori, if I mispronounced that. For those that are listening, I'm so sorry. But I was, watch- I was watching an interesting documentary. These are young men in Japan that have isolated themselves, basically have become uh, in-home hermits, and they never come out in society. That was already a problem before COVID hit. And if you want to learn more about it, for those who are listening, please go check that out. It's really interesting. BBC did some work on it. There's been other ones. There's a whole industry in Japan. They're called Big Sister is basically the translation. And these uh, women go and try to get these young men acclimated back into society. I worry oftentimes we're going to see a rise of that, not just in Japan, but across the world because of these things that have happened in the last few years. So. I think that's really interesting. Brandon, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but is there any other symptoms that you have? No, not at all. Yeah, I was just kind of letting the, the conversation happen because Sandy was making so great points and so are you, but, and I didn't really have anything to add um, to either of those to interject. But I, I have noticed some things, um, and we're all, all, all three of us are very lucky in that we're all married. We've been mm-hmm. able to survive this past year with somebody else in our home, mm-hmm. um, in our bed, you know, with us to, to, to comfort, to be with to just share the time with and and bear that help bear that mental load um and i couldn't i feel not horrible but i i really feel for my my friends who are single or, or maybe who don't have people or even if they have people in the home might be you know just estranged from them you might say um i have single friends who you know describe zoom dates 
Um, you know, like they're still using Tinder. They're just not meeting up in person and just the increased levels of anxiety and stress and nervousness that that alone brings. Um, you see, I was reading an article the other day, how, you know, shows like the office and parks and rec and the ones, the shows that you've watched, you know, 20 times over and over again, they see that those, uh, those numbers are increasing exponentially because, People want to know what's comfortable, what's familiar. You know exactly what stupid joke Michael Scott is about to make in the next scene. You know exactly how Pam is going to grimace and that goofy face Jim is going to make the camera before turning away. Um, and it's that comfort, that feeling of familiarity that you know what's going to happen. This is safe. This is going to play out the way it's going to. You know, the Titanic is going to sink again. It's not going to keep going and start this weird alternate universe movie that you've never seen before. It's it's these patterns that we're just reinforcing and keeping ourselves in. Thing is the the rise of revenge bedtime procrastination, um, and, and this is a lot of people don't even realize they're doing it. But it's the concept of you have so little control in your life that you will stay up later, you know, just watching TV or playing mobile games or cleaning or getting work done, just busy work, and you're you're cheating yourself out of sleep but you're also telling yourself that you're not tired because you have to get things done because it's one way that you can just keep control of whatever tiny spheres of influence you have. Um, these things that, are, you know, give you this temporary uh, dopamine boost and, you know, rush of serotonin, but in the long term, they're negative. Uh, uh, they're adversely affecting you negatively. Right. Right. I think we're talking about revenge bedtime. I do want to, touch base on that and everything you said was right on point Brandon. but i actually i think i'm being a little honest and authentic here which i always try to be but i think i'm gonna share a little bit of a personal thing i struggle with revenge bedtime uh i've always struggled with it mom knows that <laughs> yes and even when he was like two weeks old all the way all the way, <laughs> all the way. and then i've i've been notoriously known to sleep for four or five hours a night for I mean, since I was little, I guess I just never sleep much. It's gotten better over the years, especially since I started working on myself and going to therapy and that sort of thing. And for those that have joined us, I mean, we've talked more about that in detail. Uh, my story, along with our friend of the podcast, Kevin's story and overcoming PTSD. Uh, you can check out that episode and learn more about that. But I struggle with revenge bedtime a lot because it does give me a sense of control, right? Another thing that I've noticed is the revenge bedtime increases and decreases decreases depending on the stresses of my life. Absolutely. So after my mother-in-law passed away, obviously the revenge bedtime just took off. And my wife and I both, I, I think should be okay with me sharing this. We would have a lot of late nights and we've had a lot of late nights in the past several months since my mother-in-law passed away. And whether we are watching TV or we're working on something, which is something that we, we do wind up working on things. Um, we've put together puzzles. We've just, ref you know, we've refused to go to bed. We've watched old shows that we've not watched in years. Right now we're working through French. Shout out to French. Best, one of the best science fiction. I mean, everybody sleeps on the show. It's amazing. Oh, Fringe. I thought you said Friends. I'm sorry. I was very confused for a second. <laughs> no, Fringe. I was like, you do not strike me as Friends people, let alone calling it one of the best sci-fi shows of all time. I was about to ask if you were okay. <laughs> I'll save my strong opinions for Friends for another day. It's uh, Yeah, but spoiler. It's not a popular opinion. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we're watching Fringe and that sort of thing. It's 
I know what's happening. We have a lot of our, on our minds. And so we stay up, you know, it's, it's staying up because we're get to choose the things that we like to do. And it's an attempt to control the universe around us. I know where it comes from. And here's the thing because of how my psychology works. I know I'm supposed to be going to bed. And what happens is I get stubborn and then I have a cycle of guilt and shame because I'm an adult. And then I get stubborn again. And then I'm like, well, I'm already screwing up. I'll just stay up another hour. And then I have this weird cycle of revenge bedtime and then guilt and then the shame and then the shame and guilt provokes more revenge bedtime. sounds like an addiction cycle, which it kind of is a little bit. So what we've done is a couple of things. First of all, I'm more mindful of it. And we do need to talk about how to overcome some of these symptoms and we will in just a minute. Yes, we will. But one of the biggest, probably about the biggest thing is being mindful. Number two, I work really hard and I I fail a lot, but I work really hard at being more gentle with myself. If there's a rough day and I get, I disappear into my work um, until one in the morning, I have a choice. I can either get upset with myself, which I do struggle with, or I can say, that's okay. You didn't do so great today, but maybe tomorrow you'll do better as long as you're more mindful. And trying to break that shame and guilt cycle that I face a lot when it comes to handling my symptoms. And the whole point is the overall application to all of these symptoms. You know, I'm covering just one symptom, symptom, but I've exhibited all these symptoms at some point since last March. I promise you that I have. And I would dare say the rest of us have if we're being really honest. One of the biggest things that I can talk, take, take away from that is that you need to not be so hard on yourself. You need to focus on that because we alternate between shame and guilt and then doing the same thing over again. Well, we screwed up so bad, might as well just keep doing it. It doesn't make sense, but yet humans are wired to do that, you know, to do that very cycle. So that's the biggest thing that I see. And I think it was interesting that you brought that point up because it's one of the biggest battles I face. I'm very impulsive about revenge bedtime. And Mm -hmm. it's something that I struggle with. People are always like, how do you have a full-time job, do this podcasting, still find time to play video games, still find time to read whole giant books and whole book series and still have time to smoke and, uh, you know, cook and all this sort of stuff. Eric, how do you do all that? Because you can sleep when you're dead. Because I can sleep when I'm dead. And I really struggle. And that's how I'm able to do all of those things. But the trade-off is at what cost does it impact? There are days where I barely slept. I'm not running. I'm not thinking correctly. I'm not running correctly. I'm not doing a lot of things correctly um, because I refuse to go to bed at a decent time. And I'm a 38-year-old man, and I still struggle with these things. So as we're heading into possible solutions that help with these symptoms mm-hmm. for those that are listening and, for, and to help your family and your friends, the first thing I do want to pitch out is don't be so hard on yourself. You are surviving a pandemic. You're surviving a recession. <laughs> you are literally living in history being made. Every day. We so have- 50 years from now, you're going to be that old you know, person talking to the grandkids. When I was in the pandemic. Exactly. Yeah. You're surviving in one of the most amazing times. And I say amazing. I don't mean necessarily positive. I'm just saying amazing things are happening that will impact for 100, 200 years minimum. And it will set the course of human history. We are in that time right now. We have 
the privilege or the curse, however you want to look at it. So don't be so hard on yourself. The fact that you're alive, the fact that you care about people around you, the fact that you want to do the best you can in the life that's been given you, that's enough to cause for celebration and, and be more gentle on yourself. I've always said, you know, <laughs> I, I saw this really funny meme and said, for $150,000, would you smack the person you hate the most and, <laughs> and split, it, split it with them? And the person goes, and the person's response was so funny. He said, well, I get all $150,000 because no one hates myself. You know, I hate myself more than anybody else, you know? <laughs> so, you know, and I often feel that way. So my first mm-hmm. step is, don't be so hard on yourself. You're a surviving times that no one predicted. So with that in mind, now that I've teed it up for a good five minutes, mom, Brandon, what are you guys doing when you recognize these symptoms yeah. to help yourselves and maybe help those around you? How do we approach the symptoms that we find that will get us through the next several months until things begin to t- return to normal and things are, well, it's never going to be it's going to be the new normal, if I can use the expression. Well, what do you guys think? Let's talk about that a little bit because I think that's so important because I, I hate to identify a problem and then offer no solution to help solve it, if that makes sense. So. Sure. Um, I'll start because I probably have the most scary answers. Sure. Um, you have to be honest with yourself, first of all. Mm-hmm. Um, rec- you can't fix a problem until you realize, recognize, and, and state that you have a problem. Um, and, and even something small that, you know, it's very easy to rationalize anything. Well, it's just a stress response for me. That's not how I normally am, but you've been saying that exact same thing for eight months. Um, It's not a judgment call that I'm making here. It's just a statement of fact. Sometimes we need help. And I've said it before. I, I, I cannot brag enough or on my circle that I have uh, near by me um, that are always just a message away. Uh, you need a strong support system. Humans are social creatures. We are not meant to go this alone. Um, famous quote, no man is an island. Yeah. You know, it's, it's famous for a reason. We are made to survive together. We are made to watch out for another and complement each other's weaknesses and each other's strengths. Uh, I believe uh, one of our friends in college was, a very big about reading biographies of successful people. And I remember one time he was reading uh, the, the biography of, I think it was the founder of Starbucks that had just come out. And he said, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, winning the race and running it. He's like, but I don't care what place I come in because I know who's waiting for me at the finish line. Yeah. Having those people there, being able to be honest enough with yourself and with somebody else and like I said, I'm going to go first because I'm going to say the scary stuff. Being honest is terrifying mm-hmm. when you have to admit you have some kind of problem, mm-hmm. um, it, whether it's you know overeating or substance abuse or just something as quote unquote simple as I watch too much TV. I yep. should read more. Um, it, it's having someone who can not even necessarily keep you accountable, but can at least check in. Um, mm-hmm. You know, say how are you doing with this, that, or the other, you know, what have you done for yourself? What have you done for someone else? That's one thing that I've really started asking my friends. And, and I've, I've spoken about my drama kids before my theater kids that I work with normally. Um, I, that's one of the first things I asked them. I said, okay, well, what, how have you been? What, you know, what's the last good thing you've done for yourself? Now, what, what have you done for someone else? Because when you do something for someone else, you get out of your own head. It, it really helps. 
Um, sometimes I kind of jokingly say that, you know, I, it's probably a bad thing how much I try to help other people and not me specifically, but like the, the collective you, uh, it, it can be to the point of, well, if I help so many people, it, then that becomes a distraction in itself and it could become detrimental to yourself. So again, that's something that needs to be balanced, but genuinely looking at someone else's situation and not comparing yourself to them, not trying to elevate yourself or, or get, you know, some kind of praise for what you're doing, but genuinely focus on someone else's needs or, or problems and trying to help them alleviate that. It's helpful to yourself, not just them. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I, Brandon, I actually appreciate that very much. I do agree with everything that you said. Absolutely. And then to go on what Eric said about being kind to yourself. I'm a big proponent of self-compassion. Um, it is necessary in this world, even without a pandemic, when you add the pandemic and everything else, self-compassion is a must. If you aren't sure what that involves, let me direct you to um, an author. Her name is Kristen Neff, N-E-F-F. She has a lot of books out about self-compassion. Very good ones. Um, any of them that you pick up would be great. Right. Amazon has them if you want to use Amazon, but any bookstore should probably have them. So that's that's top of my list, to be honest. And as we talk about that revenge bedtime, which I, that term, I love that term. I don't get to hear it too often, to be honest. So thank you, Brandon, for bringing up that term. Yeah, revenge bedtime procrastination. I have insomnia, but I will be the first to admit that I've I've fully used my insomnia as an excuse sometime to just keep watching something or reading something when I know that I should be getting rest. Uh, me and the reading. It's me and the, the next chapter. But here's, uh -huh. here's the thing. A lot of times, and even before COVID, I would sometimes see this in young parents, one or the other, especially young moms. They're like, I, I, I need this time to myself. I, I just don't have any time to do, you know, to take care of myself during the day or whatever. And there's some truth to that. And I feel like with the pandemic, we're all kind of taking care of everything else all day long. And then we have this revenge bedtime come in. So one of my big things, and I, I practice it myself, is some self-care throughout the day. And it doesn't have to be a major thing, but some self-care might look like, you know, if you have time for me, honestly, I, I walk every day at lunch. Um, I'm able to do that. Thank goodness. Um, we, we walk with the dogs and, and that's really helpful. Doing a little bit of yoga is, is amazingly helpful. Um, sometimes you don't even have time to do that. And I understand that, I do. I, I know that some days I go back to back or it's raining or whatever. If you can turn on a special essential oil and know that that scent smells good to you, you can have a fresh bouquet of flowers in your house. And Eric will tell you, I'm big on fresh bouquets of flowers in the house. They take no more time. Just something small throughout the day that makes you feel cared for and special. If you can add in a few moments here and there for something of yourself, by the time you get to the end of the day, you won't feel so pressured to like do this revenge bedtime or find this time in the middle of the night to, to read a book or or to just, oh my goodness, be myself without all the pressures and demands. Um, if you are uh, at home, you might, if you work from home like I do and you have no kids, I set aside my lunch hour for some time. But even when my kids were home, um, I, Eric's kind of smiling already. When every afternoon, I literally, this is way back when, when we had the timers on the stove. Now I would use I my phone. 
I would set the timer and I'd say, you guys have to play quietly for, you know, 30 minutes. You can play in your room. You can play Legos, read your books, whatever. But until you hear this buzzer go off, you may not come out of your room. I literally would just have a cup of coffee and breathe. I homeschooled the kids. So it it can be pretty demanding. In fairness, I was, I was pretty much a terror. (laughs) He was a little challenging. Yes, that's true. (laughs) That's very true. diplomatic. Very I'm not going to lie about that. <laughs> I, I also hear this um, all or nothing thinking. This is, uh-huh. it's, it, yeah, I heard that, especially when you were talking, Eric, that all or nothing, that black and white thinking, it's either all this or nothing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and the pandemic makes us feel like that. Everything makes us feel like that, but, but the pandemic more than, than anything else. And so be careful of that thinking. Be careful of, it's got to be all or nothing. Sometimes those little pieces are better than either all or nothing. If you can spread them out through your life, it feels a little bit less like I have to have it all to fill me up because I'm so empty. If we can do it a little piece at a time, that's that's help, more helpful. And so maybe by the end of the day, we can get to where we don't need that revenge bedtime. Uh. Or conversely, we don't need to have that bits of fear and anger coming out on social media or with our extended family on the phone or, or, all, or our significant other that we're living with. The three of us are very fortunate that we have significant others whom we get along with very well. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I can't say that that's true for everyone. And so, you know, speaking, taking care of yourself there's, there's a reason on airplanes that you have to put the oxygen mask on yourself first, uh-huh. yeah, like 10 seconds before uh-huh. you pass out. It's kind of that way in a pandemic. You really do have to do some of that self-care and that self-compassion first and watch the all or nothing or that black and white thinking. Uh-huh. That is a cognitive distortion that needs to be challenged every single time that comes in. Watch your diet and your exercise. One of the two, th- or the two things that... The CDC um, has, and who actually have has said that has slipped for most um, people through this pandemic, have been our diets and our exercises. And it's funny because we actually have more time to do those right now, but we're doing worse. And what's happening, if I eat a lot of carbs, I actually feel depressed and can get anxious. It makes my blood sugar rise. It makes these other things rise. I feel bloated. I feel sluggish. I don't feel motivated. And we've all kind of lost our motivation for eating healthy and for exercising. So I will encourage everyone to at least walk if you are able. I want to remind, if you listen to our PTSD episode about uh, trauma with Kevin, and we talked about EMDR, where I talked about bilateral stimulation, walking is a form of bilateral stimulation. It helps you calm down. It helps you process. If you think about someone who's upset and they pace, they're naturally doing some bilateral stimulation. So go for a walk, get outside. It's starting to be spring. Thank God. And so the sun is coming out slowly, but surely, and we can be outside where we all feel a little bit better. All of that's going to help us with the pandemic. Get the heck off of social media. Spend some time with your significant other, your family, and if you live alone with yourself, without screens, without all screens, um, a big 
thing about reading. I'm huge on reading, but you know, you can sit quietly. A couple other things. I know I'm throwing some things out really quickly because I want to make sure that I say these things. There's nothing that's going to beat keeping a gratitude journal. Nothing. Nothing beats that in all times, but especially in a pandemic time. Come up with at least three things every day. Minimum three things. Come up with as many more as you want. Three things each day for which you're grateful. The first one or two are usually pretty easy. The third one you have to think. At least three things in a gratitude journal every day for which you're grateful for that day. Not life in general, not in your life forever, that day. That's a huge thing. And the second biggest thing, honestly, and I'm a counselor, can't get away from it, is mindfulness. If you don't know how to do mindfulness, there's all kinds of books out there. But here it is. I'm going to tell you how to do mindfulness. Breathe. Focus on your breathing. That's it. If your mind starts wandering and it goes to another thought, bring that thought back. Because it is that corrective action of letting your mind water and bring it back that you're wanting. If you're doing that, it doesn't mean you're doing a bad job at mindfulness. It means that you're, you're actually lifting those mindfulness weights. So when that, that goes out and you, you're like, oh, now I'm thinking about work. Okay, recognize it, bring it back, focus back on your breathing. It's that whole process that forms that healthy benefit of mindfulness. And mindfulness, remember, is really just being mindful of being in this present moment. If you have a hard time with that, touch something. Feel something, look around, use your senses, five things that you can see, four things that you can hear, three things that you can smell, so on and so forth. You can do all of that, but be mindful of this present moment and be grateful. Be grateful for what you can be. I know I sound like I'm preaching and I am definitely a counselor in this moment, but you know, these are the things I do. You asked Eric what it is that we institute. Uh -huh. These are not things that I just tell my clients. These are things that I do. I do sun salutations throughout the day, usually between every client. I do a couple sun salutations, quick ones, because I can make one last for 30 minutes if I wanted to. I've got about 10 minutes between clients, and I'll do one or two sun salutations, get my blood flowing, breathing, get back in my body, and kind of cleanse myself and reset myself to go the next session or the next transition of the day. That's, that's again, being mindful. That's what I like about right. yoga, by the way. You're inhabiting your body, and you're huh. focusing on your breath, and you're being present. Um, so I, those kinds of things, they sound basic because they are, but we are not doing them as a nation or as a, as a planet, really. Mm. Um, we're not focusing on the basics and that they're basic for a reason. We have to have them. Right. So sorry, I sound like I'm preaching, oh, but I am yeah, preaching. Well, I am preaching. Well, we're so getting, I'm going to, I'm going to quit preaching. I like getting free counseling <laughs> at, for, you know, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Free counseling. There you go. Yeah. There you go session for me there's one other thing that we do want to talk about well, actually a couple of things first of all i find it's really reassuring and it centers myself to this may help some it may not but i remind myself that nothing is simple you say i don't understand how that is reassuring eric it breaks me from thinking all or nothing black or white and you mentioned that mom i did we have got to stop thinking that things are black and white and simple. Things are so complicated. When you're talking about human behavior, you're talking about cause and effect in nature, you're talking about all of these things, politics, pandemics, all of these things. These are really complicated problems that require complicated solutions. You say that doesn't, some people are like their initial instinct is 
that doesn't make me feel better. <laughs> what it does though, is it opens your mind to consider alternative solutions in a positive way and say, well, this is a really complicated solution. And it also makes your attitude towards your fellow man shift because you're not so gun ho and fanatical. I'm going to use that word about proving that your way is the best way or it's the highway. And you bring it back down and it, it's more positive and it is open for open, you know, more open for open and honest and authentic discussion and dialogue. So keep that in mind. Nothing about this is simple. And again, give yourself grace. Another thing is, you know, we've hit on it, but we have all of us have loving spouses that we're all very close to. But this does affect people that do have spouses this way or people that are single and have very close friends. Brandon mentioned it. Um, I'll tell you a personal story about it. Um, one of the things that I'm facing right now is, uh, I'll be honest, my hormones are just so out of whack medically right now. My testosterone's messed up. My thyroid's all over, all over the place. One of the things I struggle with on top of insomnia is motivation, and they think it's medical. So I'm trying to explore how to fix that. And I went to see, I, well, I didn't have, went to see an expert. I had a Zoom call with a, with a medical expert who specializes in these things. And she's suggesting maybe it's my pituitary gland is shutting down. And she also wonders if it has to do with being run over. Mom, I haven't told you, this is the first time mom's heard about this. So if you haven't heard my story about being run over by a truck, I talked about it many, like last year, go check out that episode. It's really interesting. But they think that the sudden rush of blood that went from my chest into my head may have damaged my pituitary gland. So they're talking about doing MRIs and that sort of thing. One of the things that I'm talking about is it causes a lack of motivation. And I don't, I slip into irritability really easily if I'm not careful. So with that in mind, I don't, because, because it's medical, I don't see myself slipping into that. I fall into thinking patterns of where I'm not motivated or I'm irritable or I get very quiet. Um, I struggle getting out of bed because the things that I'm struggling with actually inhibits your thought patterns. I, don't, I can't logically look at myself and go, hey, Eric, you're struggling today. It doesn't cross my thought patterns. So my wife and I had a very long and honest discussion. And I said, I can't because I'm, I can't look at myself because I'm the person that has the problem. I, I can't look outside in, if that makes sense. So when I start having warning signs, here's are the symptoms of those warning signs. And I, for the lack of a better term, call me out on it. It's, if I say the words call me out on it, it implies I'm doing something wrong. That's not what she means. Or how about she verbalizes that I'm exhibiting warning signs that I flash warning signs, whether it's struggling getting out of bed, I'm irritable because I'm usually a pretty easygoing guy, all of these different things, or that I'm struggling solving basic logics, logical thinking problems, which sometimes happens with this particular problem. So why am I saying all of this? Well, basically what my wife is, she's a loving accountability partner. It's not that I'm doing anything wrong here. She's watching to see if something is amiss with me. And that way I can get the help that I need to get. 
Likewise for her. Now, I'm not going to tell you what those are, obviously, because that's between us and she's not on here and I don't want to, you know, that's her place to tell those things. So we're each other's accountability partners and we're very opus, honest about the struggles that we go through and being very aware of it and seeing those warning signs. And that way it doesn't get out of hand. So whether you're single and you have a close friend or wherever you have a spouse, those things apply. Have open and honest discussions about, about these things with your support group. And Brandon hit it right on the nail when he said that. So those things are really important and they certainly help you get through those things. So, you know, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say one, one, one statement that I used to summarize it and I've said it on here before and I'll say it on here again, because I think it's, it's something that we all need to remember. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be strong all the time. Like it's okay to be weak sometimes and let others be strong for you. Um, it's advice I've given to my theater kids. It's advice I've given to my close friends. Um, it's advice I've given to my elders. It's just, it's something that it's simple enough on the surface, but it's very difficult to accept and internalize. And it's okay to be weak. It's we're told constantly in society that being weak is the worst thing ever that you have to be strong. You have to hold the entire world on your shoulders and you will die or go crazy or both if you're lucky. Yeah. That is so if you toxic. Try that. It is so toxic, Brandon. You are so wrong. Not asking for help is is not strong. Knowing your weaknesses and asking for the help you need is where true strength comes from. Absolutely. And I can say this right along. The principle applies for those that are listening. Think of the people that you love, the people that you looked up to the most in your life. Just think about it for a second. For those are listening, for us. I promise those people that you admire and respect, I promise one of the reasons that you admire and respect them is because they reach out when they need to. And it's just a paradox of human behavior that you're stronger when you admit that you're weak. There are so many examples in history, so many examples all around us where people are strong when they admit that they're weak and they're looking for help. It's just such a paradox. And your national instincts, because we do operate out of fear, is say, no, Eric, that's not true. But it is true. The greatest leaders knew they needed help. The greatest people I have ever known are also the most honest about their failings. And they're saying, I need help. And there's something that's so noble and strong about working together to help each other. So I find that as I wrap this up in my thoughts and right along with your thoughts, is one of the biggest ways I've gotten through this is not, you know, my wife is my biggest encouragement, but my family and my friends are the biggest encouragement. And I know that we have some single listeners out there, but I know that they have friends too. And be honest, go for that vulnerability, take that shot because you will be rewarded eventually with something that you've never expected. And if you're one of those people who are very introverted and, and maybe don't have a large circle, if if the three of us are the closest thing you have to friends, reach out to us, please. Like we will, we'll message, we'll talk, we'll you know find you the help that you need if we're able to. We will we'll go that extra mile if you need someone to do so. Absolutely, that's important to us. Every single person on this planet is the most valuable person on this planet. <laughs> yeah. We do care about people that listen to us. We do care about it. And when you uh, direct message us, we listen and we read them and we we respond to them. And um, it's something that we take very seriously. Yeah, we laugh and joke and we're here primarily to entertain and to inspire and to motivate and have a good time. But 
we've had people be kind of vulnerable in the direct messages to us. And we have always responded the best way we can because we believe this podcast needs to be a safe place for everybody. It doesn't matter your walk of life. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter at your age. It doesn't matter anything. It doesn't matter what country you're from. We want this to be a safe place. We're here for you. And we take anything that you said to us very, very seriously. I wish we could keep talking, but we're going to have to wrap it up. I'm sorry. <laughs> Guys, thank you for your, your thoughts and, and your su- su- suggestions for solutions and all of that sort of stuff. Some valuable wisdom that you guys packed into this episode. So thank you. Well, for those that are listening, hey, listen, if you want to write in and talk about things that you've experienced during the pandemic, whether that be the symptoms or whether it be a solution to help you get through the pandemic, we would honestly like to hear about it. And heck, we will even put it on the show so others can hear your responses. You can do that through a variety of ways. First of all, we do have a voicemail button, which is pretty cool. So if you go to where you find most podcasts, most of these places, if you go to our podcast, it says, leave a voicemail. It's a cool little button. If you click on that, you can actually leave a voicemail and we can actually display your voice right on the podcast and we can hear your voicemail. But if you want to do it in another way, you certainly can. You can also reach us on our Facebook page, which is you, me, your mom. You can direct message us there. You can also direct us messages on our Instagram, which is you, me, your mom podcast. That's you, me, your mom podcast. You can also find us on Twitter, which is you, me, and your mom. And finally, you can also email us, which is you, me, your mom 99 at gmail.com. That's you, me, your mom 99 at gmail.com and that's spelled y-o-u-m-e-y-o-u-r-m-o-m 99 at gmail.com <laughs> thanks well i've been eric and we joined by our other co-host my best friend brandon and my mom mom her name is sandy until next time wherever you are in the wide world just remember it can always get worse or <laughs> not it can <laughs> <laughs> until then we'll see y'all later Bye. Bye. You're loved. <laughs>